Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Well, when we are born, we are all born with a God-given ability to dream and imagine. Does anyone like dreaming and imagining? Does anyone daydream here? Does anyone ever get accused of daydreaming here? Yeah. <laughs> we have this innate ability to dream and imagine. And if you have young kids, you would have seen that firsthand this week, um, especially if you have kids who go to primary school. Um, I know in our particular local primary school, I think it was Wednesday, the whole school actually got bombarded with little superheroes and stormtroopers and Elsas and Annas and, and Supermans and Batmans because it was book week. Does anyone know that? It was book week. And the great thing about Book Week is that it isn't just all about books. There's a Book Week Parade. Anyone seen photos of the Book Week Parade? Only those who have primary age students. What I actually love in some of the photos, because um, they can't actually show the kids, because obviously that's, you don't do that, right? Don't do that. Um, unless it's your own kids, you don't do that. But um, there were photos of all the teachers that actually got into it. And it's, it's, it's an incredible thing to see adults, fully grown adults, dressed up as fairies and superheroes. and the, I actually like that, you know. Maybe we should have one of those days in church. <laughs> Could you imagine a new person rocking up? They like walk into the foyer and they'll just turn around and walk straight out. <laughs> but that's been happening. When we start our life, we have this innate ability to dream and imagine. We create worlds. We create languages. Yesterday, I went and bought some shoes, which was great. So we went home and we gave the shoe boxes to Kayla and Jackson. And for hours, literally hours, they were playing with a shoe box, making these crazy things, these worlds out of shoe boxes. I didn't know that a shoe box would become a person and would become this and become that. But when we're young, we have this ability to create. We have this ability to, to laugh and to play. And the problem is we grow up, don't we? We grow up. We grow up and we join in the pursuit of becoming big ones. Big ones. Jesus talks about big ones, actually. Later on in the um, Gospel of Mark, we're going to get there the way we're tracking next year or the way we're tracking the year after, I don't know. But do you remember that story where um, parents want to bring their children to Jesus and the disciples say, now get those kids away from the Lord. And then Jesus gets ticked off with the disciples. Do you remember that? Very interesting what Jesus says. He said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. Verse 15 of chapter 10. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never, everyone say never, never. will never enter it. This is interesting because we live in a world that's trying to tell us and we fall into line and we want to become big ones. And Jesus said the secret to life in entering into the kingdom of God is not to aspire to be a big one. You need to aspire to be a little one. That is crazy. And it is really crazy. But we want to become big ones, don't we? We want to get paid the big bucks. Amen. Come on. We want to live in the big house. Guess what? We want to have the big church with the big congregation. Amen. We want to have the big name about town. And then Jesus says, well, you should actually really aspire to be a little one. Yeah. Right? Because there is wisdom and there is genius when Jesus says, become like a little one. Because we live in a world that wants to grow up and become big ones. 
We grow up and things that once delighted us and elated us begin to grow wearisome. G.K. Chesterton, he said this, which is possibly one of my favorite quotes. He said this, Because children have a binding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and we have grown old. And our father is younger than we. Wow. Jesus said, unless... Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Day of Pentecost comes and the prophetic promise of Joel is spoken out by Peter. He says this, In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Dreaming, visioning, imagining is supposed to be part and parcel with someone who follows the Lord. But we grow up. We grow up. When's the last time you had this outrageous dream or vision that completely gripped you and actually dictated how you will live your life? In these last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And doesn't matter who you are, the young, they're going to see visions. The old are going to dream dreams. Get this. It doesn't matter who you are with my spirit upon you. You are going to start imagining and dreaming things that you currently cannot see. Wow. Unless you become like a child. Us big ones have a lot to learn, don't we? A lot to learn. Romans 12, 2. We preach this all the time. (laughs) Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is my life scripture. That is my life scripture. That is my, I remember in my first interview, Pangy, you asked me the question. I remember this. You know, we were doing it via Skype. Pangy asked me, what is your scripture? Romans 12, 2, that's my scripture. And we talk about renewing our mind all the time. But what is the renewal of your mind? It is to change your thinking. This is what the renewal of the mind is. In light of who we know Jesus to be and in light of what we know Jesus is doing, change your thinking. Tell me if that is not a a, a direction to start reimagining. That is exactly what it is. We put all this great spiritual Christian stuff all around that word, renew your mind, renew your mind, renew your mind, renew your mind. And yet the Lord is saying, in light of who Jesus is, and we've been going through Mark, we know who he is from the very first sentence, amen? Right, we know what he's doing. In light of that stuff, look out into your world and see something different. That is renewing your mind. Unless you're like a little one, you can't enter in, you see. Because little ones, they imagine. And they dream and they vision all the time, but we grow up. We grow up. I want to look at one statement from Jesus in this 
passage of scripture, and it's quite a few verses because um, this is one of the most well-known two stories. But there is a statement that is actually, Jesus is actually telling us to do this exact thing. And we're going to land on that later on. But we're going to read from Mark chapter 5. We're going to read verses 21 to 43. If you have your Bibles, get that open. Um, If you have your Bible on your phone, open your phone, read your Bible. I personally do not care how you read your Bible. I do not care. We have so much technology. If you've got a tablet, crack it, open your tablet. You know, if you've got a phone, crack open your phone. If you've got a book, open your book. Doesn't bother me. Just don't be on Facebook. (laughs) Verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again. Now, this is picking up from where Doug left off last week. He got in the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay for them, to pay them. But she had not gotten any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. When she, she, heard, she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, Messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There is no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw how much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kohum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and he told them to give her something to eat. That's a really well-known passage of Scripture, isn't it? I think sometimes the most familiar passages of Scriptures were in danger of just over-reading them and thinking, you know, well, I've seen that over and over again. I've got nothing else to glean, nothing else to, to learn from that. I've certainly done that. I'm sure if you've been walking with the Lord, you've done that as well. 
This is one of up to 12 intercalating stories in the Gospel of Mark. What does that mean? Well, in the Gospel of Mark, there are stories that are intercalating, or another terminology might be it is a Mark and Sandwich. And what Mark does is that he has his habit of starting a story or starting a theme and then interrupting that story with another story. And after the completion of that middle story, he then goes on to complete the first story or first theme. He does this however you want to like look at it through the gospel, depending on how you identify it, up to 12 times in the gospel of Mark. And these are really important to identify, and we can learn a lot from these intercalating stories in the Gospel of Mark. If you can't readily identify them, you can easily go to Google and say, Mark and Sandwich, and you'll be able to see it and see what it is. Now, I like the idea of a sandwich, because that helps me understand what's going on and what Mark is trying to do. I know myself that when I go and when I make a sandwich, or if I order a sandwich, that sandwich is actually identified by what's in the filling, isn't it? You know, I want a ham sandwich, I want a chicken sandwich. Um, even if it's identified first by what the filling and then secondary by the bread or the layers. So I go to Subway and I'm a very boring person, so I keep on getting the same thing. So I'll say, yeah, I would love a chicken teriyaki um, sandwich um, on nine grain bread, right? But it's actually the filling that's significant. And that's always important to know. The filling in this particular story is the woman with the issue of blood, isn't it? So it's important to actually know that that's actually what's quite significant. What's really significant is, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I love it that when you approach Jesus and he does something in your life, he doesn't just give you like, what you expect. He goes far over and above. He doesn't just say, like, you, you know what, you're healed. He says, now your suffering is over. Healing and suffering are two different things. You may be sick, and part of your sickness could be part of your suffering, but your suffering actually goes beyond your sickness. In this particular case, this woman was actually excluded from community. Her suffering went beyond her sickness. The actual story says that she has used all of her money to give to the doctors, and instead of getting better, she got worse. Her suffering has gone beyond her sickness. So when we come to God and He does something in your life, He does something in my life, make sure your eyes are open because He's always going to give you something more than what you asked for. It's good to know, isn't it? I told you he's a generous God. He's a really generous God. The miracles of this, these two stories, they're about faith and about the object of faith, which is Jesus. We've already observed up until this point in the Gospel of Mark that the disciples they are experiencing a lot of things, they are seeing a lot of things, but they still seem to be unable to comprehend who Jesus is. We have the advantage as readers because in the very first sentence of the gospel, we are told precisely who Jesus is and exactly what Jesus is doing. And if you missed it, the podcast is called Wake Up Call and we did it on February 10. Who is Jesus? He is Yahweh himself. What is he doing? He is fulfilling Israel's scriptures of a brand new exodus. A brand new deliverance, which is going to overshadow everything that he did previously and actually take care of what Adam did in the fall. Israel's scriptures 
point to this and tell this. And as soon as Jesus comes on the scene, our very first gospel, Mark's gospel, you know, which comes from Peter and behind Peter is Jesus himself, is letting us know this is who Jesus is. In case someone comes knocking on your door, by the way, with a nice tie and their own Bible, do not let them open up their Bible. You open up your Bible. Everyone wants to pervert our scripture. I don't get it. Everyone wants to pervert my Jesus. I don't get it. And as soon as I stand up and tell them exactly who he is, they start getting offended. Oh, come on. I don't get it. But we, are, we see, we have that. Disciples are still working this out. The disciples have just witnessed Jesus taking command over the natural elements effortlessly. Effortlessly. He silences. Have you seen that big Sea of Galilee is? That's huge. Silences it. Steps off that. He restores the dignity and removes the incessant torment of a man who's been possessed by a legion of demons. Like that. They've seen this. You know? Jesus is showing us something. The man's restored to his right mind. He's sent out as an evangelist telling the world, his world, what the Lord has done for him. What God has done for him. And despite seeing and experiencing so much, they still, these disciples still seem to be so blind as to who Jesus is. And as we journey through the Gospel of Mark, we will continue to see that they are still blind, especially from chapter 8 on, on the way. They're still blind to see it. Ironic that as the disciples are blind, Jesus does something like heals blind Bartimaeus. All these things are so connected. They seem to exhibit less faith than Jairus or this unknown woman in this crowd. And as I said, I want to actually land on a sentence. But before we do that, I just want to just notice a couple of things in this Mark and Sandwich. Brett mentioned a couple of weeks ago that in this story, both Jairus and the woman are desperate. We've had some great teaching over the last year. My goodness, Brett, that was a great message. Fantastic. Jairus and the woman... They're desperate. They demonstrate their desperation. Or maybe we should say they, desper- they, 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 they demonstrate their faith. Wow. I reckon there are some people here and there's a desperation that needs to fall on you today. I reckon there are some things that you are waiting for God to come through on And it feels like, God, why have you kept this from me? But the Lord doesn't keep anything from you. He keeps things for you for the appointed time. And today is actually an appointed time for some things. And that's important to know because if you've been waiting for some things and the Spirit of the Lord says to you today, it is now, Well, today you need to receive it and forego the disappointments of yesterday. Anyway. So they both have this. They've both heard about about Jesus. Jairus was more than likely in that house when the paralytic got healed and was forgiven. He's a leader in the same synagogue in Jesus' hometown. He knows about Jesus. The woman's heard about Jesus. And because Jesus is the object of their faith, guess what? They are both striving towards 
Jesus. Because Jesus is the object of their faith. Now, for us here today in 2019, we may start very often as Jesus as the object of our faith, but very often we live in this world where other things become the object of our faith. Amen? And sometimes Jesus just wants to call us back to where our faith should really be. You know, Tim Keller actually calls the human heart an idol factory. What's an idol? An idol is simply anything or anyone that would actually, uh, will actually take the place of, of, of being what only Jesus can be. So we talk about idols like money. So we rely on money more than we rely on God all the time, don't we? You know, until, <laughs> until our money dries up and then we go back to God, Right? It's a lot more smarter to actually keep an account of where your faith is actually being and actually keep it on, you know what I'm saying? Because sometimes out of God's goodness, he will bring us to our knees to the point where we have to put our faith back onto him. Much more smarter to actually keep an account. Okay, where's my faith right now? Relationships. Especially when you're young. Sometimes you're too immature to be in a relationship. Did you know that? Young people. Sometimes you are simply too immature because what happens is that you started off with your faith in Jesus and like all of a sudden now your faith is in him or in her. And as soon as we put our faith in a person, that is so unfair. That person was never created to be your God. Never. It is entirely, completely unfair to put that kind of expectation on a man or a woman. Completely unfair. And sometimes we keep running to him or we keep running to her because we don't want to run to God or we've forgotten to run to God or we, you know what I'm saying? But sometimes that is that case. And guess what? Relationships do not work when that happens. Here's what happens as well. Sometimes your pastor can become an idol. Did you know that? I'm going to run to the pastor. There's a reason why we're trying to create this church. I, I like... The way I see Dewspring is like this tapestry. So we've got, like, even, even as far as, do you, like, this is the very first time I'm preaching in a completed auditorium. Isn't that nuts? But the auditorium's been finished for a couple of weeks now. So the way I see New Spring is that we are a tapestry and all the, we, we all have different gifts and different graces and none of those gifts or graces are competing against each other, but they are complementing each other. And when they come together, there's actually a tapestry. This is why I say, God forbid, if something had to happen to me, you guys are all good. You're all good. Now, I believe you should thank God for your pastor. Amen? You really should. But I'm not your Messiah. I'm not. I love you dearly. But I cannot do for you what only he can do for you. And I know that. So idols... They, they, they come and they creep in. And, and that's why God challenges us, because it's the object of our faith that sometimes gets swayed. Now, both of these stories, Jesus is the object of the faith, but the miracles happen differently. This is really interesting. I find it very interesting. The woman touches Jesus without his knowledge, but then Jesus touches the girl who's dead. So it seems to me that for someone who has Jesus as the object of their faith, whether he touches you or you touch him is inconsequential. That seems to me what this story is saying. Sometimes I can, I can pray, I can go all Jimmy Swagger. He touched me and me. Sometimes he will touch you. But sometimes he ain't doing anything and say, Jesus, you're not touching me, I'm going to touch you. Both happen. 
These interlocking stories, they demonstrate this. The woman touches Jesus and her touch releases Jesus' power. Get this, it seems so irreverent even to say, but the woman takes healing. Isn't that interesting? She takes it. Didn't ask for permission. How irreverent does that? It even sounds irreverent. But this is actually what the scripture is saying because Jesus realized that healing power had gone from him. Someone took it. Wow. I wonder if there's some things this morning you can actually just take. Wow. I'm waiting for the Lord to touch me. How long have you been waiting? Yeah, I've been waiting 10 years now. Well, how about you just go and take it? How about you reach out and touch him? Wow. These interlocking stories, they tell us that there are no demographic barriers. Jairus is a well-known and wealthy leader in the community. This woman has nothing left to her name. They are on both different ends of the spectrum. But they each demonstrate that their faith in a courageous act of coming to Jesus. It's very interesting, those things, isn't it? And there's a lot more. We actually don't have time to grapple with all the details of these two stories. For example, I don't know if you've ever noticed that the amount of attention and the amount of times it pops up in these two stories about the crowd or unnamed people, that's significant. That's significant. Out of all the Gospels, this place right here, for some reason, Mark takes a lot of effort in actually going into talking about the crowd and the unnamed people. That's really significant. Even Jairus' wife is unnamed. Don't know who she is. The woman with the issue of blood, she's unnamed. The crowd's unnamed. That is. That's significant. Number 12 keeps popping up. That's significant. The word daughter keeps popping up. That's significant. So there's a whole lot of significant things which we haven't got time to get to if we're going to land on where I want to land. And remember what I was saying before. Had Jesus said, the way that we enter the kingdom of God, this kingdom breaking in and breaking forth into our life is so significant. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it in. Again, what does Jesus do? Who is Jesus? Jesus is Yahweh himself. What is he doing? He is fulfilling Israel's scripture of a new exodus, a deliverance which is so great and so expansive and so grand that every single prophecy, every single promise that God gave to Israel is completed only in Jesus. He is undoing everything that was done through Adam and the fall and sin. He is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God's reign breaking in, breaking forth into this world. He is doing this. And in light of what Jesus is doing and in light of who Jesus is, he tells us, Scripture tells us to renew our mind, to dream, to imagine a world. What would this situation look like? What would this family look like? What would this church look like if Jesus is God and he is king and if he is breaking in a kingdom that is unshakable? That has got a mess with our heads. And this is exactly, this is precisely what Jesus says in this story. I want this sentence of Jesus to mess with us so much. 
So Jesus, in this story, this is what he tells us to do. With the anonymous, unnamed crowd around him, with his three disciples in hand, with the parents of this girl, he goes into this room, and verse 39, this is what I want to mess with all of us. This is what he said, verse 39, chapter 5, verse 39. Pay attention right now. He went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. For the crowd, for the disciples, for Jairus, for Jairus's wife, the girl is dead. For Jesus, she's just sleeping. Talk about reimagining a situation. Paul goes in, in, in Thessalonians and he uses language like this. He says, I don't want you to be so distraught about those who've fallen asleep. This is kind of mess with your mind stuff, really, isn't it? There are things that from our perspective and in our world and our culture, that sucker looks dead. Yet when the risen Lord actually walks into a room, he's saying, what are you going on about? It's just asleep. It's just asleep. It's just asleep. That veil between heaven and earth is really thin. I've experienced the thinness of it from time to time. It is so, so thin. So, so thin. You see, the dream's not dead. The relationship's not dead. We've got evidence in this church over the last year that it turns out that the womb wasn't even dead. It was just asleep. Isn't that right, babe? Mm-hmm. And even though we know Scripture, we know the Lord, when they got pregnant, it still surprised us, didn't it? And we had joy and we had excitement, but that womb was not dead. It was just asleep. This should be messing with you like nothing else. It's not dead. It's just asleep. The word of the Lord for today, for you, I don't know what it is. And if you know what it is, we're going to pray for you. But it's not dead. It's just asleep. I'm sitting with people this year in this church. I'm sitting in coffee shops. I'm sitting with people. Some of them stand on this stage now. And it seems like they'd seen to me, you know what, I once had this dream. And they honestly thought it was dead. But it's almost like that dream's starting to wake up. And it's almost like he's wiping the sleep out of his eyes and it's waking up. Waking up. There are dreams there are desires, there are aspirations, there are hopes that are given to you by the Lord and you thought it was dead. And he walks into the room and says, why all this commotion? It's not dead, it's just asleep. 
Well, in Jesus' name, wake up. Every promise, wake up. Every dream, wake up. In the name of Jesus Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? Bears witness of Jesus. Well, if the Holy Spirit is given to us to bear witness to Jesus, He must be bearing witness to who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And in light of that, renew your mind. I've been on this journey for a long time. This whole idea of reimagining. I remember when I was a child and um, I used to have these dreams which absolutely terrified me. Absolutely terrified me. And I would have only been around four or five. And I remember it even to this day. And I remember this dream to keep on coming in. And in this dream, it was, um, it was like this scrawny little kid, which is like, <laughs> that's like me. And there was this huge beastly thing, which I thought was absolutely terrifying. And I was terrified of this dream. Pretty terrifying dream, right? Far out. Terrified of this dream. What is this dream. Had this as a young child. Went quite a few years. Didn't have the dream. In my 20s, I remember the night I had the same dream. I knew a little bit more. Same dream. Scrawny little kid. This huge beast of a monster. And I didn't know him a lot, but I knew enough to use the name of Jesus. So I remember in my dream, I said, in Jesus' name, go. And what happened surprised me. The scrawny kid got up, screamed and ran. Turns out I was the monster. And the scrawny kid, that was the devil. I thought I was a scrawny kid. The Holy Spirit is given us to bear witness, have the same dream. Turns out I'm the monster. Tell you what, since that dream, I'm not really intimidated that much with the devil. A couple of years ago, I was in bed, and um, I think the only times I do genuine sit-ups is when God speaks to me, <laughs> or something happens. It's like, in bed. My body can attest to that. <laughs> I, was in that. I was in that spot where I was kind of in this halfway sleep. Have you ever been in that? And in my right ear, I'm hearing this voice. And um, I can't understand what it is. And, um, but what it sounded like, um, do you guys, there, there was this, um, one of the Harry Potter movies where they had this snake that was speaking, this literary kind of, do you remember that? So it was exactly like that, right? It was exactly like that in my ear. So I'm like that. I do a sit-up. Sit up straight away. You know, I didn't even think about it. Do you want to know the first thing that came out of my mouth? The first thing that came out of my mouth was, that's interesting. <laughs> that, 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 was, that, that was very interesting to me. I wasn't scared or anything. And I'm kind of thinking, you want to start speaking things I can't understand to me? I can do it to you, you know? <laughs> I could do it. I can speak mysteries that edify my spirit and only God can understand. You know what I'm saying? Now, some of you guys freaked out by that. You can't speak in the Holy Spirit. We'll pray for you to happen. It's a gift. If God's, God give it to you. You know what I'm saying? 
But I've had these interactions and this journey with the Lord where he is walking side by side with me and he is causing me to see this world differently. To see this world differently. I was at Hillsong Conference. Remember a couple of years ago I wrote after Hillsong Conference in my, I've got an online journal, and I wrote, always go to Hillsong Conference, stuff happens. <laughs> it always does. You go in that environment. You have to try very hard. You have to be a very hard hard, very stubborn to go into an environment like they have nothing changed. You have to try very, very hard. Very hard. So I go there, and I remember this year, and um, one of the guys was speaking. He didn't even speak out of the Scripture. He just mentioned that story in 2 Kings with Elisha. Let me just quickly read it out to you. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, the army with horses and chariots, had surrounded the city. Oh my, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of the horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This preacher just mentioned it. I was looking down in my book. I looked up and all of a sudden for a moment, God took the veil away and I actually saw who was with me. Wow. Wow. Reimagining, revisioning, redreaming, redreaming. Unless we become like little ones, we don't enter into the kingdom. Of God. And our greatest vulnerability is that we aspire to become big ones. And Jesus said, aspire to be a little one. A little one. A little one. Is God stirring you this morning? It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Is there anything in your heart, in your life, in your mind? And you, honestly, honest to God, you would just stand up and say, honest to God, I thought that thing was dead. And the Holy Spirit is just whispering. Actually, what he's doing is using your pastor to bring you a word from God to let you know emphatically, unapologetically, to make a declaration in your life that that is not dead, it is just sleeping. And if it is sleeping, little girl, wake up. Wake up. Arise.